This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about how we might be different will instead show us how much we really do have in common. I'm Condis Presley. You're familiar with that sense of deja vu, the feeling that you've experienced something before? Well, that's the feeling that you're going to have when you read Tell It True by my guest, John Pruitt. Yes, that John Pruitt, the retired WSB television anchor. He has written his first novel. Again, the title is Tell It True. He began his career in journalism in 1964. I'm going to ask him to tell us about that. And for a half century, he has covered everything in our city, including the civil rights movement, Georgia politics, and of course, the major news of the day. His reporting has been honored with many awards, including induction into the Atlanta Press Club and the Georgia Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. John, welcome to Perspectives. Condes, what a pleasure to be with you. You know, you've been there for a lot of that too. So we uh, we share so much in common journalistically and in every respect in terms of the growth of our city, Atlanta, and all that's happened here. So it's a real pleasure to be with you. Talk about being a first person witness to history, eyewitness to history. Indeed, that is the case. Ambassador Young did the foreword for your book. How did that come to be? Well, you know, it was funny. I, I took a long shot and, and asked Andy if he would do a blurb. You know, a blurb is a couple of sentences that goes on the, the fly cover of the hardbound edition of Tell It True. He was so gracious, he wrote an entire page. And <laughs> the folks at Mercer Press who published Tell It True said, we can't just excerpt a couple of sentences. We have to use the whole thing. And I fully agreed with that. So it is an afterword uh, of the novel. And uh, it is so gracious. And my, my thanks go to Andy uh, and the other people who've made such nice comments about Tell It True. Many people retire from their nine to five day to day and travel, enjoy the grandchildren, do things that are fun. You've decided to write a book. Tell me why. Well, first of all, let me be quick to add that I've done all those things as well. I have six grandchildren, we've traveled. Uh, I haven't devoted my time exclusively to writing a novel. But it was something the past few years I really devoted a lot of time to. Uh, it's something, Condis, I've always wanted to do since I was a student in college when I did creative writing and actually won a prize. Uh, but I've just never had the time to focus on bringing it to fruition. And I actually found that once I retired, it was a wonderful chance to reflect on all that I had covered, all that I had seen, and put it into... Um, into a novel form, fictional, not actual factual history. But I found it a liberating, exciting process. I'm so happy to have the book out. I'm hoping people will read it. And, and those who've lived in Atlanta for a long, long time or Georgia will, I think, certainly relate to the narrative and the time period which I attempted to cover. Tell It True is a piece of historical fiction based on a real event that happened, I believe I read, in 1964, your first year in the business. Is that, did I get that right? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, the novel really attempts to recapture the summer of 1964 in Georgia, uh, which was a momentous time. And it also happened to be my first, uh, my first uh, week on the job at WSB, the first week of July, 64. On the 2nd of July, President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act into law, the Public Accommodations Act, uh, requiring hotel and restaurant operators to allow African-Americans to stay there or eat there. Uh, it sounds bizarre, but yes, it required a federal law to do that. 
And it was a law that was not wildly and enthusiastically received by those who opposed civil rights were African-Americans. But that was my first week on the job. And then later that week, knowing nothing about journalism or shooting news film, I was more or less pressed into covering a segregationist rally in which four young black students who attempted to crash that rally were severely beaten. And I shot the first news film I'd ever shot in my life, and it went coast to coast on the NBC News that evening. But the event that you refer to happened the next week. On the 11th of July, Lemuel Penn, a retired Lieutenant Colonel, Army, a distinguished veteran of World War II, he had won the Bronze Star, but he uh, was in the reserve and he was at Fort Benning for his required two weeks of summer reserve training. And he was on his way back home to Washington, D.C. to his wife and three young children. Uh, not a, a civil rights activist at all. He was a public school administrator, simply trying to drive home after his summer reserve uh, training for the U.S. Army. He had Washington, D.C. plates on his car. And this, you must recall, was nine days after the Civil Rights Act became law. And some Klansmen riding in the Athens area, night riding, noticed those license tags, noticed that there were three African-Americans in the car. They followed them and on the Broad River Bridge between Madison and Elbert counties, shotgunned Lemuel Penn to death. And it was a sensational crime, made national headlines brought in the FBI and all the presidential powers were invoked to help with the investigation. And that was not exactly welcomed by some of the rural lawmen who normally might have, you know, brushed this crime under the rug or certainly not celebrated it as a major event. So it was uh, one of those events that truly was a hinge of state history. Uh, and it, it underscored so dramatically, Condis, the resistance to the Civil Rights Act. The fact that there were so many people unwilling to accept a federal mandate that they simply be fair to African-Americans. So I use that as the, the framework for the novel. Now, my novel fictionalizes the crime. I take liberties with the facts. That's what you do in fiction. But I think it, it's authentic to what actually happened, the, uh, the murder, the investigation, the trial, the aftermath. That's the framework of my novel. And in that framework, I have a number of characters interacting, including civil rights leaders, politicians, gubernatorial candidates, uh, lawmen, both rural, state, and federal. Uh, and of course, the media. Uh, the central role in all this was played by the media because on a daily basis, television cameramen were going out and capturing these scenes and communicating them to the world through television. So it was an exciting time, a pivotal time. It's a time I've tried to recapture in Tell It True. You've sparked a number of questions for me. First, I know you attended Davidson College and you said that you had done some creative writing as a college student and now Tell It True is your opportunity to really put that training to work. But you also said you were a cameraman and a reporter, but you just said you didn't have any experience doing it. And yet what you shot on that one story went nationwide on the network. Connect the dots for me. How'd you get into the business? Well, the, the, it's an interesting question. And what you have to remember is in 1964, television news was not an occupation most college students even considered. Uh, the medium was so young back then. Uh, it, it was not a course that 
even young journalism students would think about doing. Uh, I, in fact, had done some creative writing at Davidson. I won the Vereen Bell Memorial Award, which is the big writing prize at Davidson. So when I graduated with a history degree, not really knowing what I was going to do with it, it occurred to me that, well, I can write. So I went in search of a newspaper job, and I was not successful in finding that job. But uh, a gentleman at the Atlanta Journal took interest in me and called his friend Ray Moore, who is the legendary news director at WSB during that time, and Ray hired me, uh, having no experience in journalism, certainly not knowing how to shoot news film with a camera. But in those days, Condes, the news department was so small, they needed every warm body they could find to cover a major international story happening in the South, the civil rights movement. So I quickly learned how to shoot film, and after that, quickly learned how to report. And you have to remember in those days, the cameramen, and I say men because there weren't any women cameramen at that time. The cameramen were the reporters and vice versa. One guy was doing it all. That's the way it worked back then. So I hope that connects the dots for you. I was a, a rookie who thought he could write, fell into TV news quite by accident and happenstance, fell in love with the work, and the rest is history. Of all the stories that you've had an opportunity to cover over the course of your storied career, why did you settle on this one for the novel? You know, when I was approaching retirement, I think the question I was most asked, what's the biggest story you ever covered? And there have been so many. I mean, the Olympics coming to Atlanta, the, the funeral of Dr. King, which I was able to cover, uh, just so many stories. And, and when I boiled it all down, I could not come up with a single story having been the biggest. However, I could look at the civil rights era and the cumulative stories involved in that societal revolution as the biggest story of my career. So it was a number of stories all under the umbrella of civil rights. So when I sat down to write my novel, I knew that it would focus on that very turbulent time and it was a time when the city of Atlanta could have gone the other way. It could have gone the way of Birmingham with riots in the streets and fire hoses washing young civil rights protesters down the streets and police dogs nipping at their clothing. Atlanta chose a different way. And well, we see the results all around us, a major international city where business is booming and culture thrives. And we even have a World Series baseball team, not this year, but last year. So uh, the plans worked out thanks to great enlightened leadership, uh, both from the black community and the white community, the business community and the politicians who, some of whom got elected and turned out to be a lot more progressive than people thought they would be. So I try to encompass all of this in the novel. It's a rather complex weaving of, of uh, concepts, but I think it works. I think it works. I, I like to think of it as a history lesson for all of us, but particularly those of us who live in Georgia. Introduce us to some of the main characters in Tell It True and start with, uh, let's start with the journalist, this guy, Gil Matthews. Well, Gil Matthews, some say is my alter ego, and I guess that's pretty accurate. Uh, Gil is a young cameraman, newsman, uh, who is on the scene of these events that are happening. He is there in a stadium where four young black Students are almost beaten to death, and he records that. And this is one of several episodes he films. 
And even though he's had a relatively stable middle-class upbringing by parents who are not racist per se, but not enlightened, they're happy with the status quo. They think maybe things are moving a little too fast. Uh, but Gill comes into this job of journalism, much like I did, and he sees what's going on. He sees the hatred of those resisting civil rights, even the willingness to kill. Uh, he sees the courage of civil rights protesters who are willing to risk their lives, and in some cases, give their lives for a higher calling, and it changes him. And he understands that he is the conduit. He is the one who is there who can communicate what is happening in the South to the rest of the country and in effect the rest of the world. And that happened, as you know, Condis, night after night as people sat down for their daily newscast. And back in those days, it was a daily newscast, not 24 seven like it is today. And watched these scenes in Bangor, Maine. They could watch in uh, Portland, Oregon. They could see it in San Diego, California, in Dubuque, all over the country. And they were horrified by what they saw. And it truly advanced the cause of civil rights. People were indeed affected by the daily coverage from TV and to a lesser degree, uh, newspapers. The TV communicated the visual images, which was so strong and actually advanced the cause of civil rights. Andy Young in his afterwards says, in his view, the men and women of the news media are the unsung heroes of the civil rights movement. And I think I agree with that. Has so that's Gill. You, you would ask about the character, that's Gill. But not to leave our print brethren out, uh, I have a, a young AP, Associated Press reporter, named Mindy Williams, who often ends up on assignment with Gill. And Mindy is interesting. She's very demure and petite and lovely, but she is tough as nails and courageous and covers the story for the AP and phones in her reports for newspapers and in radio stations basically around the state and the country, uh, which was not as easy then as it is today. If you're in a, a rural Georgia county, people don't want you there because you're news media. You can't find a telephone to phone in your reports. So Mindy faces all of these issues and I think she's very interesting. And, and one interesting aspect of her character is that she likes to quote poetry. Uh, sometimes at the weirdest moments, <laughs> she has a, a poetic line for almost everything that happens. So that, that adds an element of interest. And in addition to the, the frontline troops, Mindy and Gill, we have the TV managements who are working to try to bring the city through a very potentially violent time. And you and I know we've had managers at WSB radio and TV who have uh, really personified that desire to be accurate, to have perspective in the coverage of news, to not be sensationalistic with a greater goal of helping keep the lid on, helping move the city forward. And you also have these larger than life characters, which comes with creative license and a work of fiction, the, the sheriff. And then there's that there's obviously because you covered politics, the political and there's a governor's race in this story, even though in 64 in Georgia, there wasn't a governor's race. It was you six, had to point 66. that out. <laughs> <laughs> this is a work of historical fiction. You, you, have, fiction and, you have parameters and that you can work with. Yeah. Well, for a guy who's who spent half a century writing factual news copy, <laughs> it was a stretch for me. Also liberating, though, because I needed a governor's race contest. Uh, some of my favorite stories involve the governor races of the past. 
the colorful figures and particularly back in the in the 70s and even the 80s uh, i had to have a governor's race to illustrate the political conflict that was going on which is an essential ingredient in the story of how the south and how atlanta turned out to be the way they are so i have a a, a virulently racist candidate named roscoe pike he's a demagogue he stands up and regales his followers and he thinks he's going to win the governor's race because surely he believes rural Georgia will go with him. Uh, the sad fact of the matter is that in 1964, in the 60s, in fact, uh, it would be almost impossible to win a statewide office without declaring that you were an avowed segregationist. Fact of the matter. Uh, and Roscoe Pike is out there quite in the open saying, I know my supporters and they're going to vote for me. His opponent is a guy named Harrison Parker, who is a more forward-thinking individual. He's the state attorney general, but he's, he's faced with this dilemma. How do I campaign? How do I win votes from this racist candidate? Uh, how do I do that? Because I can't tell people I'm a moderate. I can't say I'm a progressive. I can't go out there and say black folks deserve a better break because that would doom his campaign, at least in his eyes. So he has to go right up to the edge to try to convince people he is conservative, he doesn't want the federal government coming in and telling his people what to do, but he stops short of the racist rhetoric that would identify him with Roscoe Pike and his supporters. So it's a very delicate line that he has to uh, walk. And I might add, this has happened uh, before in Georgia history in gubernatorial races. And if you want details, we can talk about those, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Candidates who feel that the end justifies the means. They, they do what they have to do to win, and then once they're elected, why, they can uh, set their own course. The tensions that existed in 64 sadly still exist in some ways in 2022. What are you hoping that readers are going to take away from the book? You know, it's so interesting. So many people say that because as I'm writing this novel, which does begin with a, a horrible murder, a fictionalization of the Lemuel Penn killing, uh, Things are happening in the present day. The Ahmad Arbery murder was taking place as I'm writing this book. The George Floyd murder takes place in Minneapolis as I'm writing the book. And it, it just occurs to me uh, that the more things change, the, the more nothing changes. And also the old Faulkner line that I've used quite a bit recently, uh, the past is never dead, it's not even past. So I think there are lessons to be learned and we, we have, the South, Georgia, Atlanta, came through a very rugged civil rights period successfully, successfully using what we now call the Atlanta way. Uh, all parties talking with a single goal in mind that's elevating the city to a progressive new South city, which happened. And the benefits are obvious all around us. The challenges remain, uh, but we can get through these things. But when I look at society today and the divisions, the political and social divisions, it is a sobering fact that we still face so many challenges. And I would hope that Tell It True might give us some direction toward how to, I mean, I would not pretend to be <laughs> lecturing anybody on how to do this, but my novel, while it does deal with some very difficult issues, uh, has an optimistic conclusion. Um, and I am optimistic. I think uh, as we got through civil rights, 
we're still getting through civil rights, but we've made so much progress. It's important to remember that. Uh, much still to be done, but I believe we can do it. Talk to me about the significance of the book's title, Tell It True. Tell it true. Well, you're a, a news person, Condis. You always tell it true. And as a newsman, I always tried to tell it true. Uh, so that there is a, a media aspect to that, but it goes beyond it. I think as you read the novel, you will see various people from various persuasions using similar lines. Uh, the crowd at a Roscoe Pike rally, the racist candidate for governor. Tell it true now, Roscoe, tell it true. Or uh, a civil rights leader talking to his congregation. Tell it true, Reverend, tell it true. Uh, a car hop at the varsity uh, talking to Gil Matthews, who he is aware, the car hop is aware that Gil actually shot the film of those four young black people being almost beaten to death. He drops his act and we all, those of you who've been to the varsity over the years know that some of the car hops have a little act. Uh, he drops the act and leans into the window as Gil is waiting for his his uh, slaw dog <laughs> and says, uh, you're the one who shot that film, aren't you? You tell it true, you keep telling it true. So I guess the significance of the title is truth often is the, in the eyes of, of the beholder. Uh, there are various interpretations of what truth is. As we both know, there's only one truth. The difference is in the interpretations of it. So that is the purpose of the title, but ultimately the truth gets out and it's up to the media to be sure that that is the case. Who are the folks that you want, especially to read Tell It True? Who'd you write the book for? You know, when I, I talked to uh, high school students and middle school students back when I was on the air and they knew who I was, <laughs> <laughs> those invitations aren't coming as often as they used to. Uh, I was, I would very often talk about civil rights in my early career and it was Amazing to me that hardly any of these students, young teenagers, mostly black or white, had any conception, Condis, of what life under segregation was like. They had no idea that in 1962, in the Georgia State Capitol, it was white only, colored only for water, water uh, fountains or uh, restrooms. Carl Sanders fixed that really quickly, by the way. He desegregated the state capitol overnight, Governor Sanders. Uh, so I guess the answer to your question is I would like for young people to read this book. And I, I wrote it in a way that it would be accessible to them. Uh, I did not show complete honesty in the dialogue of the time. There are certain terms, and you know what I'm talking about, that I chose not to use. Um, and the profanity is almost non-existent in this in this book. Um, so I, I made allowances for that. Thinking, thinking of my grandchildren, to be honest with you, I wanted to write a novel my grandchildren could read without embarrassment and that would illuminate and educate them about the past. But I think it's a book all of us can read. I think the older generation, and I include myself among those, uh, will have memories. And it may bring some of them alive and may provide some perspective on where we've been and where we are now and maybe where we still have to go. So I think it's a book that would apply to any age person with an interest in history and uh, and the South and hopefully even beyond the South. 
Stay right where you are. In just a moment, more of our conversation with John Pruitt. This is Perspectives, and I'm Condice Presley. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condice Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condace? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. <laughs>